Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. I think our intuition is talking to us all the time and it doesn't really have a good feeling, bad feeling. It just is there and lets us know. And then we put some sort of judgment over it that kind of blurs our vision. Welcome back to episode 10 of What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Stephanie Chin, an American illustrator, writer, and body confidence advocate. Her work focuses on illustrating the different ways we can remind ourselves that we are enough, just the way we are, while simultaneously unpacking the different ways we've been led to believe that we're not. I'm sure you can tell already why her work resonates so strongly with me. In this episode, we talk about shame, transformation, and liberation. We share a bit about our own journeys and some of the ways we both process difficult emotions. We talk about a few different taboo topics related to women, one of which I'm sure you can guess is money, and how important it is for us to come together and break down these taboos and stigmas together. Stephanie and my work in a tactical sense couldn't be more different, a fundraiser and an illustrator, but the reality is we share so much in common in terms of the way we want to support women and the impact we want to have on the world, and many of the insecurities and challenges we've had to work through along the way. I can't wait for you to meet this special soul, so let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Stephanie Chin. She is an amazing artist and actually the designer and artist behind your favorite mug. And I have loved her work and followed her for a really long time. So I'm just thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to dive into some interesting topics with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you. So why don't we start though with you just telling folks sort of who you are and what you do so they get a little background on your experience. Yes. So I am a full-time illustrator and soon-to-be author, which I'm pretty excited Mm -hmm. about. I predominantly am in the world of digital arts and I'd say you know, the category of work I put myself in changes all the time. So I say usually the kind of work I do is somehow centered around women empowerment, whether it be empowering themselves through liberating their bodies or their own professional careers or their work, or just simply wanting to live a life that they feel belongs to them. I try to curate work that kind of harnesses and creates a safe space for that. Mm. Okay. I love that. When you say the word liberate, like what does that mean to you? Visual is a woman just standing in the woods not wearing any clothing for some reason. (laughs) And what I mean by that is kind of the visual comes more with the feeling of like just stepping into your full self and doing so unapologetically. So just 
owning who you are and not in the cliche, you know, way that we're all told to do that, but doing it in a way that is just you living your life the way that you want to live your life, no matter how it is being perceived and trusting and kind of living in that. That's kind Mm. of like what liberation means for me. Mm. I love that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of your story around liberation? You know, there's kind of different pockets of my life where I can think of where I felt liberated. So for me, the ones that stand out the most are, I was 19 years old and I had a stillbirth. I was about seven months. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, from that situation, I wasn't able to process what I was going through. I was very young. I had these complex feelings that we don't discuss. Like, you know, I was, in my opinion at the time, too young to have a kid, but also, you know, this was going to happen. So I was on this path. So there was these push and pull of feelings of not knowing what to feel and not knowing what to do with the feelings I didn't know I was feeling. So I, in that moment, chose to, well, I don't like the word chose, but I, addiction was kind of the way that I started to self-cope. And, you know, I kind of went down that path for a couple of years. And I'd say the first moment of me really liberating myself was seeing that that was the path that I was going down and choosing to pull myself out of that. And part of pulling myself out of that wasn't, it can't be just, I'm just going to stop taking this and I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop this behavior. It had to be what is underneath all of this that I need to uproot and understand that the addiction is just, it's just a symptom of mm-hmm. what's going on. So I'd say that was when I really started to really integrate liberating myself and also pulling up all the other narratives that came with that. You know, the narrative that I wasn't allowed to talk about those hard feelings and I wasn't allowed to feel them or be in them or have them be complex. So I really started to just pull up all those weeds. And then that kind of actually is what built even my current career. Because one of the stories I told myself as a kid or in that time was that, you know, I wanted to be an artist, but I can't do it. I don't know how. And then all these things, you know, the why, Mm. you know, excuses, but the excuses you believe. And then I started to unpack all of that at the same time. Mm. Wow. First of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss and also your vulnerability in sharing that story with us and in different ways, you know, that you that you share because I agree the more we talk about topics that we feel like we're not allowed to talk about, the more we help people see themselves, see the opportunity I think for them to be liberated. And so there is so much of this sort of like inner trapping that gets created by these stories that we tell ourselves. And I, I think it's really, I love, nobody has ever said to me before what you just said around the excuses, but they were things I believed stories that I believed. I feel like we speak so negatively about ourselves and we're like, well, I'm just making excuses. And it's like, well, where is that coming from? Like, is it because it's rooted in a belief you really hold to be true about yourself? Then just beating yourself up for the excuses you're making is actually probably just like perpetuating that belief likely. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes we forget that if beating ourselves up worked, we would all be totally cured, (laughs) right? Like the amount that we do it, like, so 
you've got to understand it, it doesn't work. And there are yeah. times where it's like, okay, you just need to just, you just need to do it. You just need mm-hmm. to get up. You just need to move. Like there are times, but you know, when those times are, and they're never when it comes to like a belief, right. And excuses, mm-hmm. I, I've always viewed them as, you know, there's something underneath it. It's not mm-hmm. just, I don't think I can do it. It's, it's always deeper than that. It's like a real belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because this actually, I mean, this is kind of why I believe everything relates to fundraising, which I'm sure some people are like rolling their eyes around. But, you know, it's interesting because like fundraisers, one of the ways I kind of fell into my work was that I started coaching, doing consulting work with fundraisers. We would set a goal, you know, for the next week, okay, you're going to do these things. And they'd come back the next week and they wouldn't have done those things. Right. And they were like, well, I was really busy. I had like way too many things on my plate, but like I'm coach trained. So I'd be like, well, tell me about that. What did you do last week? And it's like, oh my gosh, you made time for all these other things that actually weren't on your priority list. So is it really about time? And then it's like, the more you kind of unwind those stories, you find the belief that's sitting underneath it, right? That sometimes the excuse is related and sometimes it's not, but it helps protect you from having to explore the bigger story behind it. Oh, definitely. I definitely relate to that. So tell me about the journey to the body positivity and like just sort of embrace, because that's one of the things I love about your art and your illustration is how much you can feel in your work that the women are, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but content or like secure. I feel like there's sometimes I see work around women embracing their bodies that I can't totally relate to in the sense that it's like, maybe it feels too disconnected from the challenge of feeling secure in our bodies. And when I look at your illustration, I'm like, there they are. Just like there they are. I love that. I I love that because I, I do, I know exactly what you mean about how some of the content that is, while I think all of it right now, period, is wonderful because it's just something that we've tapped into that we're like exploring as a culture now. So you're going to have people who are so far this way and so far that way and, mm-hmm. and people in the middle and everyone will have a different place for sitting. It's more comfortable and everyone will have be in different phases. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like a couple of years ago, one of the things that I told myself what I always wanted to do was I wanted to do a triathlon. So mm-hmm. when I, you know, I was training and I was really pushing my body, not pushing in a harmful way, but like, I was like, we can do this. Like there, we can do this. So we're just going to do the only way you could do it, which is practice and do the thing. So I practiced and did the thing. And, and that after that, I kind of started to get into a little bit of dysmorphia around it, where I was obsessive mm-hmm. about fitness and, and then my food intake, which I'd already just as a, Woman in the 21st century, like just obsessed over, you know, oh, shouldn't eat that, should eat that. And, you know, now I need to work out and all of those narratives. So that was already underneath there. And then I put this fitness culture lens through it and it kind of ignited to where I was always fixating on my body in some way. Like there, 
you know, you have like your baseline of thoughts and you have your thoughts underneath that are obsessing over all the things. And I was always somewhere obsessing about my body 24 seven in some way, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be, Oh, remember you ate that earlier. So now you have to go to the gym. I know you're tired, but you need to do it and blah, blah, blah. And what you think is self-love, but actually is like self-sabotage and super damaging. So I started to see some content online exploring these narratives. And then it was the first time in my life where I thought, where I actually questioned what I would taught about my body as a young girl. And you start to, it's kind of like once you start to pull the thread, like you see like, oh my gosh, there's this whole thing I've been taught. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I can't believe that. I considered myself like this very like feminine, even though you can totally still be a feminist and have all of these issues. <laughs> like, But I just couldn't believe that I, I didn't see all of that. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think there's no way there's no way I'm alone and wanting to just stop doing this. Mm. So I started to explore creating art around the narratives I was telling myself. And at first I was really throwing myself into the, you have to love your body all the time and love your body Mm. and just love her. And then I was like, this doesn't, you know, I, I say these things, but this doesn't feel like where I'm at. I don't love my body all the time. And maybe that's not the goal. Maybe the goal is to just stop fixating on it, period, Mm -hmm. so that we can just live our lives beyond Mm -hmm. it and just understand that it's just there to take care of us and nurture us and carry us and to, you know, enjoy the people we love and just to be in a physical realm. But it's not there for us to obsess over until we die. Mm -hmm. So that was really where I started to explore it. And then now you know, getting more into being neutral about how I feel about my body. And there are days I love her and there are days where I hear old narratives and just kind of letting all those days come and go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I feel like what you're highlighting is, you know, a practice that yoga really taught me, which is around resistance, you know, like when we resist the pain or when we resist the posture, we actually create a lot more pain for ourselves. And I feel like it's an emotional state that I try to remember too of like, okay, if I start to beat myself up about this thing that's already painful, then that actually is just going to create a lot more pain. And I just need to sit here and be like, life is complex. Our beliefs are complex. Our feelings are complex. Here it is. And like, kind of let it come and wash over me. And I spend a lot less time there doing that, even though it feels counterintuitive. And it sounds like that is a kind of a practice you use too. Definitely. And I'm a firm believer in like toxic positivity. (laughs) So I find that when it comes to this from an emotional standpoint, I, if I'm not feeling well, telling myself, just feel better. There is maybe one in a thousand times where I'll go, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll focus on this. You know, like sometimes mm. gratitude works. Sometimes those things really do help. And and they kind of help the bigger picture. Like gratitude always helps the bigger picture for me at the end of the day mm-hmm. or focusing on something good. Okay. Yes, I need to do that. But if I'm caught in a moment of feeling an emotion and I just layer it with you know, just be happy, Stephanie. Mm. Just like chill out, like just feel mm. better. I'm not only ignoring the feeling, I'm also probably ignoring my intuition, right? Like I think we forget intuition sometimes shows up in the, mm, you know what, this isn't right. And then we go, well, why don't I feel good right now? I should feel good right now. And then we just completely system override our intuition 
And then we're like, why did I predict that? Or what did we question? But I, I think, you know, I think our intuition is talking to us all the time and it doesn't really have a good feeling, bad feeling. It just is there and lets us know. And then we put some sort of judgment over it that kind of blurs our vision. Totally. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think we as humans want to make sense so badly of what we're experiencing. And so it helps us feel in control to judge it, right? To say like, this was a good thing. This was a bad thing. I should do this thing. I should not do that thing. It like makes us feel safer somehow to like have that level of clarity, I think. And I'm even processing some of what you said in relation to just a few days ago, I interviewed Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, who wrote How Emotions Are Made. And we talked about just how sort of desperately we as people want predictability and control and that our nervous system... I think she calls it like metabolic energy. It takes more metabolic energy when there's a certain amount of uncertainty. And so as I'm like talking to you, I'm thinking about, and so we try to avoid that as people because we're constantly trying to conserve our metabolic energy because we only have so much of it from like a biological standpoint, right? So what her and I were talking about is like, well, how can we as people maybe get more comfortable with uncertainty, or that's at least what I've been thinking about since that conversation, like not having anxiety, you know, that the feeling in the body, the judgment is that we're anxious, right? But the feeling in the body is just a feeling in the body. And so I think what you're talking about is like, okay, that feeling can be there. What's it mean? What's the next question to ask? How do we get curious about it instead of anxiously needing to like make sense of it immediately, make a judgment about it and decide our action because of it right away? Oh, totally. And especially with feelings and experiences that are so closely linked to another one, right? Like Mm -hmm. anxiety and nerves because I'm excited they feel the exact same. Totally. <laughs> There's no difference. Like yes. me getting ready to blackout because I'm getting ready to do something totally terrifying and me having a panic attack. They're like the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's, I think that's totally true. We experience all these different feelings and then we just, we see them through the lens where we think we need to see them and feel them. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it really hard for us to, to also get past them, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like stays in your body longer because mm-hmm. you're, thinking about it and fixating so much, like, does that even like make it to where you're holding, your body's holding and clinging onto it more? I, I went on a camping trip last week and it was a, my first backpacking trip. And it was, listen, I, since COVID, <laughs> I have, you know, I barely left the house. My working out has, you know, my body is not as strong as it used to be, which I knew going into that. I was like, this is going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't realize how hard, right? Like the mosquitoes were bad. I was complaining the whole time. The whole time my partner was like, he was trying so hard to be, oh, look at that over there. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I just want to get to where we're going and be done. Pitch our tent. I want to take a nap. Like the whole time I'm just like in this mood. Mm -hmm. And then the last couple of days I noticed that I was actually giving myself permission to be upset. You know, my grandmother had just passed. So I knew that there was also something deeper going on where I just was irritated at the world. I felt very like I'm irritated at my life in the moment, but I'm also mm-hmm. irritated with the physical world and the mosquitoes <laughs> and the truth. Like I'm just irritated mm-hmm. by everything. And I gave myself permission to be really irritated. 
and mm-hmm. I didn't have my phone to distract me because I didn't have connection. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to distract me. And so I just kind of like let myself be in that mm-hmm. expression. I didn't go, you know, Stephanie, this is the first trip you've taken during COVID. You should feel happy. You should feel mm-hmm. this. You should feel that. I just let myself be. And I noticed at the end, I almost had like a release that I hadn't felt in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that to me just letting myself feel those feelings and then just letting myself move on at the pace that I wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. You know, like my brain can't wrap its head around grief. Mm -hmm. My brain can't wrap my head around, you know, certain experiences that I'm having. And if I'm just really fixating on naming them and shaming them and just, you know, telling myself that I need to be something all the time, something else than what I'm experiencing, it just almost like tab marks the experience mm-hmm. for me to experience it later mm-hmm. at a random time, like on a random Tuesday where mm-hmm. I, you know, like it just surfaces. Yes. So, so yeah, I think there's so much to learn in that and just like letting ourselves exist. Yes. Yes. And like a word I just kind of want to click on is permission, you know, just giving ourselves permission for all of it. You know, the podcast was launching recently and I was feeling really nervous. And in episode zero, I talk about my life in a way I've never done so publicly. And my right-hand woman in my business was like, do you want to talk it through? Like, she was like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm really nervous. And she was like, do you want to talk it through? And we got on and I was like, you know, I'm not I'm not worried about the fact that I'm nervous. I feel like this is a very appropriate emotion to feel right now, you know? And and I don't interpret the nervousness that something's wrong. I don't interpret the nervousness that there's no judgment. I'm just like, have given myself full permission to feel scared about this and nervous and all those things. And so I was like, I don't know that there's something to like talk through. Like I... I'm just like sitting in it. And I think I'm going to until this is out in the world. And when I think about what it means to be internally liberated, so much of it has to do with the permission I've learned to give myself over the years around my feelings, around my desires, around the things I don't want to do or be. And so I just love the way that you talk about that. Yeah, permission is really key. And, you know, how beautiful is it that you got through it, you experienced it, and then now there's this beautiful thing on the other side, right? Like, mm-hmm. usually what's on the other side of that, it, it's kind of like, are you going to move through it? Do you kind of, you feel in your body, this is me nervous because I'm doing something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. And this is scary because it should feel scary. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to feel scary when we step into unknown territory and we don't know what the outcome's going to be. Like, totally terrifying, but your body has a right to be terrified. Like that's mm-hmm. like instinctive, I think. Like we don't know, we can't predict. We don't know, we can keep you safe while it's on the other side of this. But I always think about when in relation to like story sharing and like art for me, I always think about there's in Big Magic with Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks mm-hmm. about how that voice comes in and then she just says to it, you know what? I'm just trying to write a poem. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, like it's, I'm not doing anything like nothing's happening. It's okay. Mm. (laughs) We're just writing something. It's not a big deal. Mm. You know? So we're not like, I guess a bear, we're not nothing like, it's just, I'm just expressing myself. Yeah. I always remind myself of that. 
first tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. Yeah. Our body misfires in crazy ways, you know, right? It's like risk, risk, risk. You might die. And you're like, wait a second, the thing I'm doing, (laughs) like what is really the risk? And I think this relates to fundraisers in so many ways too. Even what you were saying around like going into situations where you don't know the outcome, right? That's what they're experiencing every time they're having a meeting with a funder to a certain extent is like, you don't know exactly the outcome. So, so much sort of fear and anxiety comes up. And to me, it's both. One, you're allowed to feel those feelings because it feels like something's at stake here. And so you don't want to shame yourself around feeling those feelings. And how can you focus on like kind of do some of that decatastrophizing thinking that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, which is like, what's really at stake here? What's the worst case scenario? And then sometimes you have to go farther, which is like, what's the belief there? Because sometimes I think the worst case scenario is that it affirms a belief that we really don't want affirmed about ourselves or we think it does, right? Definitely. And it's, I mean, the, I think we all have some form of fear or belief that's rooted in some form of rejection. And I think that that when it comes to, asking for your needs being met, whether it be in a professional level or whether it be, you know, a personal level, there's always that fear of, will they see me? Will they hear me? How will they respond to it? If they respond this way, you know, are you going to start to think this way about yourself even more? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think fear of rejection. I know for myself, that's always the, the one I have to work through the most. And I think it's not just telling yourself something as simple as, you know, well, what other people think doesn't matter because we are human beings and we are going to care what people think. And that's just not a realistic way to always think. Sometimes it is. And other times it's, yeah, but what do you think about yourself? Because Mm -hmm. you can care what other people think and you can care about their opinions. And, you know, if they are giving you feedback that is constructive, but what do you think? And if your belief in yourself is low, then all those things are going to impact it so much more, mm-hmm. right? So I know for myself at times where my self-belief was low, someone's criticism of my work would spiral me into, mm-hmm. I just shouldn't make anything. You know, what I have to say doesn't matter. But when I'm in states of, I believe in myself, and then someone gives it to me, then it, it usually doesn't affect me at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. That's okay, you feel that way, but I don't feel that way. So Mm -hmm. we're just going to move on. And can I tell you the thing, this goes back to what you were saying before, the times I get the most triggered when I get hard feedback is when I didn't listen to my instinct around something, 
right? Is when like I had that hit and I kind of knew maybe that wasn't the thing to do, or I thought maybe that wasn't the email to send, but I, I shoulded myself around it. And then I get that feedback. And it's like, what I'm mad about or upset about or triggered around is like, you didn't listen to yourself, you know, like you knew this and they're calling you out on something that you knew better, you know? And so it's interesting kind of like the relationship to all these different pieces and just knowing that that stuff is going to happen. And I think seeing someone as brave and visible as you talking about, yeah, sometimes things still hurt my feelings. And yes, we are, we are women who biologically have been responsible for building community to keep societies alive. So of course we care about other people liking us. It's been a part of our survival mechanism for so long. So it's like, that's okay. We are going to have those natural inclinations, but how do we build that inner safety and self-belief so that maybe we're not quite as tender to other people's feedback? Yeah, it's where we're not like sponges to it, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely times, you know, my platform has grown more recently, which is totally beautiful on one hand. And then other hand, it's like welcoming more like just weirdness or just like the weirdest (laughs) stuff online. And there are times where I tell myself, I'm grateful I have this platform now. Because if I had it five years ago, Mm. I would not have been able to take these opinions the way I'm taking them Mm. now. So I kind of believe that life has a kind of give you things at the right time. Mm. Because again, this they would have taken me down because I would have taken them in. I would have internalized them. I would have made mm-hmm. them so much more personal. And now after being you know, on the internet for a couple of years, I don't really, I don't really take anything personally. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Unless someone like maybe like, there are sometimes where some people give me feedback to where I can tell it's very, something maybe did hurt their feelings and they're not telling me to shame me, but they're just like letting me know. And mm-hmm. I typically do respond to those. And I, again, I don't take it as something to shame myself, but I go, okay, let's, let's talk this through. Let's talk this out. Mm. Let me see and meet you where you are and talk about it. And th- mm. th- there's, that's a very rare occasion. Like if a person mm-hmm. who's followed me for a while disagrees. So there's a time and place. And I think you kind of know who's, you know, maybe just projecting, which like the internet is mm. just like a minefield of projections. It's like all it is. Right. Or someone actually coming to you because they want to engage you in a conversation and kind of teach you something. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got to, you know, that just comes with practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies in all fields. You yeah. know, I used to work in the music industry. And when I first started, I took everyone's, you know, I was the first, I was a woman in the music industry, which is already rare enough. So I already had this feeling of like, okay, there's only so many seats at the table. And, you know, I have to act a certain way and conduct myself a certain way. Mm. And so I was more susceptible to taking in feedback that I didn't really feel felt like belonged to me. Mm-hmm. but I still took it in and internalized it. And then towards the end of the career, I was no longer in that place. So uh, because I was able to see, you know, these opinions really have nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And they're some sort of someone fearing either my success or, you know, fearing mm-hmm. their own failure. Or And then I kind of was able to switch it. So I think when it comes to even fundraising, I think it would be the same where it's at first, you're probably a total sponge when you're new to anything. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're new, you're excited, you're scared, you know, right? You don't know the outcomes. You can't really predict what the outcomes of certain conversations will be like you can later on Mm -hmm. when you're more into a field. And so, you know, you just have to navigate 
listening to yourself and saying, but does this feedback feel genuine? Does it feel like someone who actually cares about my success? Do I think this person who's providing this with me cares about where my success is going to go? That is a really important question that I find myself asking a lot because sometimes we think, you know, well, this person kind of, they seem like they care. Okay, seeming like they care is not usually Mm -hmm. someone who really cares. Yeah. One of the words I thought maybe before this conversation described you was bravery. But as we're talking, I'm actually getting this different feeling that every time, because you post things, I'm like, that's really brave, right? To like talk about or put out there or have that level of vulnerability around. And so I'm curious, is that a word that you feel like is a part of your identity? Or are you like, well, actually, I'm just not really thinking about that anymore. I don't really think about it anymore. So I'd say courage is more of a word I have a relationship with. But at this point, you know, I think what might be perceived as me being brave isn't really that brave. So like right now, being brave for me means diving more into my business and expanding it and kind of, you know, I am a very creative, not organized human being. (laughs) So right now, (laughs) me being brave is me trusting myself to to be organized and to mm. kind of tame down some of my chaos and my creative process. So that's actually been something lately I've been doing that is asking a lot of bravery of me. But as far as like sharing my own stories, my own experiences, which I think is what people perceive as brave, mm. uh, I don't really care how other people perceive mm. my life at this stage, because I know in certainty how I perceive my life. Mm. So I don't really, I can't take in someone else shaming me. Mm. So Brene Brown talks about this and I I don't know the specific conversation or how she words exactly, but she always says, don't, don't share something that you haven't fully processed yourself. And I live by that. Mm. I don't share things if I haven't fully processed it, because then I am susceptible to taking in someone's opinions or someone's feedback Mm. that might change my perception in my healing process, which might make my healing process take longer, right? So I always kind of think about that. Like I don't share things that I'm, there are certain things you'll never be fully healed from, but have I processed this enough to where I can share it with another human being that I don't know because we don't know who's online and then maybe not take it in or then maybe say something really crappy. Am Mm. I going to internalize that? And if the answer is Mm. yes, then don't share it. Like I'm not Mm. a believer in pushing yourself to be vulnerable if Mm. you are in that space or you're not Mm. ready to share it. I think this is such good advice and the translation I want to make to fundraisers here or like the application is. I think when people have a fundraising meeting where they leave it feeling uncomfortable, like something didn't feel right, or they are feeling ashamed for some reason around what the funder said or what the funder asked or something, I think the natural inclination, sometimes fundraisers swallow it, they never talk about it, and they hold on to it for years like me (laughs) until they're finally like, where's this conversation? 
And then I think there are some people, some fundraisers who would like have that experience and immediately go to talk to someone about it. And so I think your advice is actually really important for folks who are listening to this right now around giving yourself the space and time to process your own experience with other people in a way that feels safer. Yeah, definitely. Like for me, I will immediately process feelings usually with like my partner or my best friend or my mom. So, and those are people that I can, I trust to process things with because they don't usually give a lot of feedback as to like, mm-hmm. especially at this stage, because I share so much and I'm always having a million feelings. So they're like, <laughs> okay, well, why do you think you feel that way? Or what, you know, I trust that they'll kind of be like a wall to balance it mm-hmm. for me to just kind of talk to myself and bounce things back and forth. And yes. sometimes they'll give insight from knowing me. So you know, you have those people and then if you feel safe and it feels right, like share it with them and get Mm -hmm. kind of get what they may be able to help you process with. And then, you know, when it comes to other people or even other people within your same industry, like sometimes Mm -hmm. you might think, and I have found this from the industry I'm in, sometimes you think that processing this experience with someone who's in the exact same field you are will be helpful, but it's important to remember that they might have a lot of their own perceptions themselves Mm. that may kind of jade their opinions or their kind of advice to you. And it's never ill-intended, but it might still, you don't want to take it with you. Mm. So I kind of firmly believe in like just tapping in and listen to yourself. What do you feel after that? Like, what do you actually feel? You know, Mm. what's coming up? Mm -hmm. I love that. One thing I want to make sure we talk about a little bit is the idea of taboo topics and how we as individuals who come at taboo topics from multiple different angles, right? Like our professions couldn't be more different, right? I could never do what you do, you know? I mean, I wish, but I think the reason why I gravitated you to you so much, and I wanted you to play a role in what the fundraising, both as a guest, but also in the design process is because I felt like I could see my work in your work, even though they're so different, but there's this element of disruption And what are the ways we can approach taboo topics together? You talked about this a little bit when we were talking about kind of like body positivity or, you know, that there are so many different angles to approach the same thing from, and we need all of them. I'm just curious. Talk to me a little about like your opinion of taboo topics. (laughs) I get asked this a lot, which it's always a little bit surprising to me because I've, you know, like I was like a little punk rock kid. So I've always kind of been like, uh, you know, whatever, the weirder it is, the more interested I am. So as far as like, you know, when it came to like my art with taboo topics, I kind of learned that the more specific it is, the more people actually relate to it. So when it Mm. comes to taboo topics, like I started talking about, you know, I started talking about just like female pleasure. And at first I was actually very nervous about talking about it Mm. because I was like, although it's all something we think about and experience and like it's mm. part of our lives and especially as women because we've been kind of taught to, you know, that pleasure isn't really something that we should really always focus on or really, mm. we have a hard time claiming it. So I knew, I was like, I know this is something people are going to relate to. Like I just knew mm. it, but I was very scared. I had a partnership with Adam and Eve and they were like, you know, they're like, oh, create art. And I was like, okay, no, the process. And when I went to post it, I was like, <laughs> I was so nervous because I thought, you know, am I going to like lose all these followers? 
Like I had like all these like <laughs> wild narratives going in my mind. I was, this is taboo because I was talking about, you know, like self-pleasure. And then I was, you know, I did what I do when I feel nervous. I just do the thing and move on. And mm. I did. And I got so much feedback and personal messages of people like, I'm so happy you're talking about this. Can we I want to talk to you more about this? And people who are able mm. to relate to it because they don't see as many people talking about it. So mm. when they do see someone talking about it and it's experience that they have, then they're more inclined to gravitate towards you. So I kind of learned that these things that we're all nervous to talk about, we all still can relate to. Mm. There is not a human experience or a human feeling that someone else is not experiencing or feeling. We are not that unique as human mm. beings, not even close. So if there's something that you, I, I really believe if there's something that you, about yourself that you want to share, you know, the other day I did a poll on my Instagram about um, people who struggle with personal hygiene when they are in states of anxiety or depression, or if they have mm. ADHD. And I had like 80% of people said that they experienced that, but they didn't really talk about it because they felt shame around having a hard time talking themselves into taking a shower when they were depressed. They felt Mm. shame around being gross. And I got just a flood of messages from people who were like, you know, I relate, I experienced, especially during COVID when people, you know, we all kind of experienced that. I think a little bit of like, should I just wear this outfit for a week or what? (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, now everyone's kind of able to. And then I saw in that, I was like, here's another thing that people carry unnecessary shame about. Mm. So I think taboo topics and shame, usually there's some form of shame that makes the taboo topic hard to discuss. Mm -hmm. So if you can Mm -hmm. kind of assist people in naming and understanding that shame and then understand why it doesn't need to be there, then they're Mm. safe to talk about things. Yeah, I love that because, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so many of these things are so deeply connected, right? It's like women were taught for so long that it was inappropriate for them to talk about money, that it was rude, right? Money is such a big one. And that one bothers me the most because it's like, of course we should make money. Like, what the heck? Like, especially you know, like for me, I really had to work on that at first when it came to something as simple as, you know, so many designers were like, who give me feedback were like, and even my agent was like, you need to raise your rates. You need to raise your rates. Like, and I'm like, Ooh, but what? Like, and I just, it was so hard. And then finally I was like, this is hard because you have some sort of shame out of letting yourself Cause I did feel like that was what I deserved, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like other people would want me for that. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, is another form of fear of rejection. Like, and you, it's money is so, it has to be so unpacked and it's so personal because we all also have parents who had different experiences around money. And then we kind of just take both of those. And that's usually our perception of money. So Mm -hmm. I don't think there's like one experience of like, oh, just, you know, think happy thoughts or think good things about Mm -hmm. money. I think it's, it's really, it's so beneficial. It's been for me to like, look at, okay, what did my mother think about money? What was her relationship with money? What did my dad think about money? What was his relationship with money? What were narratives I heard about money as a kid Mm -hmm. growing up? And how can I kind of, you know, like I wrote all of them down and then slowly started to like look at and unpack them. And then that Mm -hmm. is kind of when you, from what I believe in a woo standpoint, like you kind of invite money to just come in, which was my experience. Like once I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, 
I don't want to have shame around finances and around making money. So I want to unpack these. Mm. But yeah, it's money is wild. That shouldn't be taboo at all. Like we should all be talking about money. Exactly. And so what's so interesting about fundraising, right, is like 75% of the nonprofit sector are women. And fundraising is all about money. So here's this topic that's wildly uncomfortable to talk about that they're being tasked with talking about and not allowed to talk about how uncomfortable it is because they should just be good fundraisers and this should be easy. And it's like, of course, this isn't going to be easy. Like it is really complicated. And one of the things that's been really helpful for me and my money journey and something I do with my clients a lot is look at how you're spending money. Because it's like, you know, if you are having a lot of anxiety around spending money, I like tell this to fundraisers and I don't think they like to hear it, but I'm like, you need to look at how you feel about spending money because that is actually directly linked to how you're feeling about fundraising. They are the same set of beliefs, right? When I started to really look at how do I spend money? How do I justify spending money? What comes up for me around, do I deserve to spend this money on myself? Like particularly looking at the things for me, it was like so eye-opening. And once I could change those perceptions and beliefs and behaviors, it was like the other side of it, inviting money in. It was just like, it just completely changed. Yeah, it is wild how that works, how it does... You're like, oh, this was all I needed to do was clean up my own stuff. <laughs> but isn't that life? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. And I and I love it. But I, you know, I feel like there's so many industries built on the answer isn't inside. It's over here. It's with this pill. It's with this service. It's with this product, right? Instead of just saying, actually, the answer to that is in you. And yes, maybe you need help uncovering that, but it doesn't live somewhere else. Like it lives in you. Yeah. There are certain things you just can't teach. Like even a self-help book, like you can read them into the ground, but if you're not practicing it and if the baseline of all of it, period, isn't listen to yourself. Like every self-help book, that's it, all of them right there. Listen to yourself. Are you, you know, and focus on harnessing and really creating that relationship so the voice gets louder and you trust it more because the voice will get louder. It's almost like it hears you. Okay, she's finally listening to me and participating in this life. (laughs) So then it starts to get louder and it starts to get easier to identify as well. Mm, I love that. And I think what is so clear about when you're listening to yourself is that you're speaking from that place also. And I also think actually that's why I've really gravitated to you and to your work because you can like sense that as that voice gets louder inside, you harness it for that kind of external visibility that you need or want. And then it's like everyone's hearing the same thing, you and you're able to express yourself from that place in whatever form that takes. Maybe it's through your voice, maybe it's through your art. And so I just, I love that. Okay. So two things just to help us sort of wrap up, because I know we could talk about this forever, but one is like, how can people find you? I don't know if you want to drop any teasers around the book, but where should people go and how can they engage with your work? You can find me on Instagram as Stephanie Chin Art. I live on Instagram. So that's where I am. 
I have my first book coming out September 21st through St. Martin's Press. Pretty excited, pretty nervous, all the feelings. Congratulations, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll put links to everything down below as well. And then in the interest of supporting the nonprofit sector, I invite all the guests to share a nonprofit that's personally meaningful for them. So I'd love to give you that opportunity. And then for folks who are listening, go check it out. It Give if you can and feel so inspired. But what nonprofit means a lot to you? Right now, I have a friend in, in Florida who has a nonprofit called the the runaway animals and it's she just built her own shelter and it is like I am so proud of her her own shelter for animals and she I did the logo for it and it's just she's someone that I'm so proud of all the work that she's doing and I posted about her a couple times on my story so you might you know if you follow me you might be able to see her the actual nonprofit but yeah that's one I definitely want to give a shout out to cool and I will make sure that link is below so thank you, everyone. Go go check them out, The Runaway Shelter. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for your time today, for having this conversation. And I feel like everything we talked about is such a huge part of the daily lived experience of everyone. But I'm excited for fundraisers to hear this with their fundraising hat on too. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Friends, is Stephanie special or what? There are so many takeaways from today, but some of the things I'm really sitting with are around how we need to give ourselves permission to feel our feelings and process with the right people first or alone if that's what we need. When we're doing work that involves stigma and taboos, which by the way is every fundraiser since money is such a taboo topic and particularly women talking about money has been shamed for generations. So be gentle with yourself as you do this world-changing work because the world-changing work is both the money you're raising for your organization and that work and helping to smash stigmas and taboos about the movement of money. It's brave work, and I am so proud of you. To get all of the details from this episode, we have the show notes for you over at malloryerickson.com backslash podcast, as well as a lot more tips from my 15 years of fundraising. You'll also find out more information about Stephanie there, including a link to follow along with her work so you can get her much anticipated book, Here Sister, Let Me Help You Up. It's going to be released September 2021. Most importantly, thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you, and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.
Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.